The following for the city sermon is from our sermon series by Pastor Scott Rising entitled Feast for Failures from the book of Luke. We hope you enjoy it. So we're going to continue in our Luke series, a feast for failures, right? Uh, that's the title of the sermon series. And I think as we continue through the book of Luke, you'll see why I've titled it that, right? Um, we're going to pick it up right where we left off. We're going to finish out chapter one this morning, God willing, right? If you were here last week, then what you know is Mary went to visit Elizabeth, right? And and Elizabeth's baby, right, baby John, he leaped in his mother's womb, and there was this celebration, there was this excitement, there was quite a buzz, and, and really what was happening, Mary then, she just broke out in praise, she broke out in song, and they were, it was joyous praise, it was worship, because God was fulfilling his promises to his people in Israel that he made with David, and he made with Abraham, and, and they realized this, okay, they realized that the age of salvation has begun, Right? And they're responding appropriately to this news. They're responding with praise and with worship and adoration. Well, that's where we pick it up today. Uh, look with me, uh, Luke 1, 57 through 63. Let's just take a little bit of time and work our way through the text. Um, by the way, if you're new to, to For the City Church, it's a joy to have you here as our guest. That's what we do. Uh, next week, if you come here, God willing, we'll be in chapter 2. Uh, and, and so on and so on and so on until we're done with the book of Luke and then we'll move on to another book. Um, but we just work our way through. So look at 57 through 63 with me. It says, now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, right? So the moment's here, all right? And she bore a son. No surprise, right? We already had the gender reveal. We didn't have any magical moment, no balloons popping blue or pink or anything like that. But God had told her, listen, you will have a baby. That baby's name will be John, right? And so they knew, right? They didn't even get the joy of like trying to figure out the name. The Lord said his name will be John. Look at this, though. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her. And, look, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child. And they would have called him Zechariah after his father. But his mother answered, no, he shall be called John. And this is a little bit of a scandalous thing, right? Especially for a small town. And, and they said to her, whoa. None of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And, and he asked for a writing tablet. And he wrote, his name is John. And they all wondered. Right? Because if you remember, um, Zechariah can't speak yet. Right? Uh, it was a discipline for his unbelief. And so he, he needed this little writing tablet, right? It wasn't a whiteboard. It was just wood with some wax on it, and they would scratch in something. He scratches in John. Now, now listen, the family and the neighbors who witnessed John's birth recognize that this is a gift of mercy given to this, let's say, older couple. Uh, and, and they share in Elizabeth's joy of all that the Lord has done. And, and as, a, as a whole, the region starts to begin to build with anticipation, with excitement, as they start to hear this murmuring of the things that the Lord is doing. And they're beginning to, to have a little bit of awe and wonder. But don't miss, don't miss. This is such an insignificant point, but it, but it really isn't, if you'll see it. Don't miss the fact that this community actually celebrates what is good right? That's a, that's a phrase my, my wife has, has coined throughout our lives. Just celebrate what is good, Scott, right? See this thing and we celebrate it, we join in. Don't miss the fact that this community in that moment knew what it was to celebrate what was good, even if they were a little bit presumptuous, right? In the fact that they wanted to like help the parents name the child. By the way, it's very custom that, that if, if, the, if the couple had a baby, they would almost always name the child after the father or the father's family. So they weren't off the radar to be able to say, hey, what's going on with this? I remember uh, when, when Jesse and I were expecting uh, Sarah, I have, a, I have a cousin. She's wild. Uh, she just comes up to me. She goes, well, listen, if, if this is, if this, like, you've got to name this child. And she gave a boy's name. And we're like, well, what, if it's, what if it's a girl? Right? Because we didn't do the whole thing. Our, our surprise was like, hey, it's a, yeah, we found out in that moment. And so well, you're not going to have a girl, right? Risings have boys. And I'm like, oh, geez, this is pressure, right? And, and, and 
we're like, well, will you still love it? I was joking with her. She goes, well, I'm not even coming to the first birthday if it's not a boy. And I, no, she was serious. She's a little wild. There's grace for her. Um, and now she loves Sarah and she loves our family. But this kind of like this picture, like they're just like, name it, John. This is, let's get this thing going. But my guess is this celebration for a small town is on a very large scale, right? Because they understand this couple had years of waiting, years of weeping, years of wondering if ever will they have a child. And so my encouragement to us is a friendly reminder that really that we got to enter into others' joy and sorrow as the people of God, right? Yeah, it's... it's, it's it is a grace. Friendship, gospel friendship is a grace that makes life bearable. We need one another, right? It may seem like in this text that that's a trifling little bit of an unimportant part, but it, it's really not. It, it actually, gospel friendships, gospel relationships within the church have an immense influence on the health and the stability of, of a people, right? Hopefully you know, and if you don't, that's okay. It, uh, teach you. This building is not the church, right? We say we're going to church. That's fine. We're not going to pick on you. But God's people are the church. Those who've been called out of darkness into marvelous light. That's, let's say, big C church, all the believers of all time everywhere. But then you have these little local expressions, right? So for the city, church has a people that come together and worship the Lord Jesus, right? It's so important that we get relationships figured out. I think it is a, is a correction that we have right now going on in many ways. This is part of what really drove my wife and I to say, yeah, let's sell our house and move to Greensburg to plant a church. Because what we had seen many times was not that. What we saw was big buildings where everybody goes and no one knows each other. And they go to a service as though it's like Barnum and Bailey. And they get their thing, and then they leave, and they don't know anybody, even though they took all of one minute to stand up and say hello to everybody, right? Now's the time to welcome and greet. If you do that, that's fine. But if you think you're ever going to know anyone here from doing that on a Sunday morning outside of a Sunday, you won't. And we do not want to plant a church where you think, in two years, I don't know really anyone here, and I just attend. We don't want that. If it's where you're at, it's, it's okay that you're there. It really is. I don't want you to feel like, oh, I got to go because that's all I'm looking for. It's okay that you're there, but if you're still there in two years, that's not a healthy thing. It's not a healthy thing for you. It's not a healthy thing for our church. We would say, it's okay that you're there, but it's not okay you stay there, right? You want to move towards what? Towards real friendship, towards real community, towards understanding the sorrows of people. Uh, Charles Spurgeon once said this. He said, friendship is one of the sweetest joys of life. Many might have failed beneath the bitterness of their trial had they not found a friend. And that's true. True and genuine gospel communities are hard to find. Can I get an amen? Yeah, yeah they, they really are. But, but here, know this. Building and developing and, and nurturing deep gospel friendships in a, in a lonely world. We live in a very lonely world where everybody thinks they're connected, but no one knows anybody. Um, it's a challenging labor that everyone has to engage in. Everybody, everybody has to engage in building that kind of community here. It's not the job of just the pastors. It's not the job of just a select few. It really is the job or the joy of every person who comes here and gathers right? And, and you might be like, oh, I, I'm not ready for that. That's okay. Trust that the Lord will work in and through you in that moment, but be willing to have that happen in and through you. Take steps of that. It's everyone's responsibility, right? Because the world um, presents kind of like cliquish friendships, right? But that can happen in the church. I've seen it happen numerous times where we, you know, we have the senior saints club, well, what's that? It's where the old people get together before they go see Jesus, right? And we have the teens club. And I'm fine with all those little affinity things, but can I just be straight with you? I'm never excited about that. I'm just never excited about that. I'm never excited at Thanksgiving when we put the table downstairs where the kids can just be out of our hair, right? The family gathers around the table, right? That's the picture of the church, right? I love it that kids are noisy because it means you have kids here, right? I love it that we have people on every end of the spectrum and everyone in between, but if you only have a young 20-something club 
that we call a church gathering, then they're going to be very deficient. And we're going to miss out because they have things to offer middle-aged, older people like myself. We're going to miss out from them not being in our community. But I, I don't think it's presumptuous to say that they're going to miss out from us not being there as well. We need each other. The church is a family. It's a family, right? We are all adopted sinners who God rescued out of the domain of darkness, brought us into life with him and one another. That's called the church. It's his bride. And there's many images given to that. But I got to tell you, it's so important that we do this and seek to do it well, right? Um, Clickish relationships often have you at the center, not God, right? So they say, man, I can't live without you. You're so amazing. You're so awesome. You, 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 you. That's, that's not, m- most often in those moments, those compliments and pledges of how great you are have nothing to do with you. It's making much of you so that you'll in turn make much of that person often. And that's not a gospel relationship. It's, it's actually like Red Bull, right? You like Red Bull? It's okay, right? What do I mean it's like Red Bull? Because it, it, Red Bull never gives you wings. I've drank it. I've never gotten them. It's false advertisement. We should all sue them and take that money and put it to good use, right? It, but it's, it's fake adrenaline. It's not real energy. Same thing with relationships that aren't connected. Not really, right? Just to be like, oh, you're so cool. Who cares, right? I'm so past that. I was never cool. I've embraced it now, Right? What do we want? We want relationships who go beyond surface level. Surface level. Why? Because that's what the gospel calls for. Genuine gospel friendships ought to be different. Why? Because they're focused primarily on making much of Jesus. His weight. His significance. Not our own. Not our own friends. Now, if you're joking around with your buds and, or your girlfriends and you're saying these things, that's fine. But, but if that's where your relationship is and all you're ever talking about is like, see the game? Yeah, it was awesome. Did you see who homeboy got hit? Yeah, that's awesome. Hey, uh, how's your relationship with your wife? Ooh, buzzkill, right? Like at some point, relationships have to go beyond small talk. Now, you can't force it. Otherwise, everybody's like, well, that was intense. I just met you and you asked me about my most inner deep feelings, right? <laughs> you got to be wise. You got to be intuitive in these things, but you got to do it. You got to do it. And whether you're a part of For the City or Church or not, wherever you go, be a part of a community. I'm not talking just here. I'm saying this is what it means to be God's people. But here's the thing. You might already be feeling the the anxiety of that. You know why? Because it's going to take vulnerability. It is. Um, Being willing to to love means you're you're guaranteed going to get hurt. It's going to happen. I mean, right? Like being willing to love like that means you may love like that and then not get love back in return. And that's that's okay, right? If if our love is anchored in the love of God, it's okay if you don't love me like that. Do I want you to be kind to me and love me? Sure I do. You'd be weird if you didn't. Like, I don't care if they love me. Sure you do. You care most. But but it really is, I think of my buddy Levi Love comes down, it goes out. That's, that's, that's the picture. He's like this, right? But he gets it. That's a mental picture for him. Now it's been a mental picture for all of us in that regard. We love because Christ first loved us. Jesus said, you'll know my disciples by how you love one another, right? N- not by how cool you are. Not by the fact that you got the coolest beard oil and, and man, wow, right? Um, most of that's genetics. Save your money. It is. Ryan's got good genetics. I wish I had them, right? You do too, Colton. I see it. Uh, Jake and I, we got to let ours grow out a little more so it fills in so we don't look like a, you know, a, a hairless cat. Um, I got to tell you, though, like real gospel relationships take humility, take teachability, and they got to be committed to perseverance, They really do. So what's that look like? Uh, Let me list off a couple of things. We need to be willing to look to serve rather than be served, which means it's possible that you may not get served in return. We don't love to get love in return. That's called manipulation. (laughs) Um, We must look to broaden our circles, by the way, right? Um, 
Which means that you and I, we all have to have an eye for the outsider, the person who kind of comes in and just floats along, and, and man, they don't really have people. Which, but that means that you've got to be okay with not being on the inside huddle all the time because you're on the outside edges seeing the people that no one else sees, which then means you might be forgotten by people and not invited to their reindeer games. Are you okay with that? Are you okay with that? Once again, Jeff Merriman's on my mind. Are you okay loving a guy that no one else sees in the world and he has nothing to offer you, but in return, actually what you get is, is a gift beyond comparison of a love of a friend that is so far beyond the trite friendships that most people have. We must be willing to address sin and conflict within a community, a gospel community, um, in appropriate ways, by the way, which means it might, you might get rejected because you sought to love somebody. Now, let me be very clear. I, I use this illustration a lot within our church. Um, think about bank accounts, right? And now you're depressed or you're happy. I don't know which spectrum you're on, right? But think about bank accounts. In the term of friendship, you've got to put a lot of investments and deposits into the friendship if you ever want to take a withdrawal. If you've never made an investment and you come up and say, hey, um, so sis, I can't help but notice, right? But like, seems like you might have a pattern of sin. And you've never even said hello to this person. Eh, wrong. Don't do that. You're not helping anyone. You're not God's messenger. You're probably working for the other team in that moment. You have to have real friendship. But if you have real friendship, real friendship takes a chance to love the person even if they don't like you in return because you care more about their soul than your comfortability. That's what it means to have real friendship. We must be willing to be vulnerable, which means we must be willing to be under, misunderstood. <laughs> and grace might not be extended to you. It's, it's tricky stuff, man, to love like this. Know this, too, uh, just in case you're like, I found my people. Until heaven, our community will never be perfect. You're going to get hurt by people that you love, and you will hurt people that you do love. Why? Because none of us love perfectly. Not even close. Um, it's, it's inevitable that we will experience hurt and disappointment in our lives and in our friendships. But can I just tell you something? It's worth the risk. It's worth the risk to love like that. It really is. Um, and this world so desperately needs to see that kind of love and friendship modeled. Right? I, I'm just so captivated by the fact that Jesus says, you will know my disciples, those who follow me, those who lay down their lives in glad submission to my call to follow me, pick up their cross, and die a death a trillion times by how they love one another. Not, not the world. Yeah, yeah, love the world. One another. They love each other. They're willing to lay aside preferences to love one another. That's a beacon of hope in a dark world is what Jesus is saying. And here you have this community doing that in Luke. Now, if you look at your map, you'll notice that's not even a point. Which means we have to go through the other three points pretty quick. <laughs> but it's important. It really is important. Don't, don't start thinking that maturing in Christ is all about information. It's about transformation and that transformation being shown in love. Love. And not love like the world says love. That's so lame. Most often it's very lame. It's about emotions and feelings. I just fell out of love with you. Lame. What's that even mean? Lame. Right? No, love as... as as the Bible defines it, it's more comprehensive than what I can even give thought to, but it's very actionable. It's very actionable. And it's not, it's, it's not dependent on you loving in return. Why do, where do I get that from? The gospel. Christ came and loved those who were weak, ungodly sinners who had nothing to offer. And he loved them so much he was willing to lay down his life to save them. That's love. Love others like that. You can't, but you're called to. <laughs> love your wife like that, men who are married. And those who are not, become the man that loves a woman like that. Or just get gerbils. Don't get a wife. Straight up. If you can't care for a cat, you'll never care for a wife. Right? This is what it means to be a gospel people. This is what it means to take on the call of Christ. And we see it here. Let me just read one text on this, and then we're going to move. 
Hebrews 3, 12 through 14 says this. Take care, brothers and sisters, family, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Can I just tell you right now, there's so many people who are deconstructing their faith. And most often, that's not a good thing. And, and they have no community who's coming along saying, you're destroying your faith, your life, your walk with God. They're saying, oh, you're so cool. Look at you questioning everything, even the word of God. Yay, you. So, no, they need a community to come along and say, not cool, not good. You're, you're wandering from the narrow path. It leads to destruction where you're going, right? So he says, Lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But then he says, now listen, gospel community, church, but exhort one another. How often? Every day. As long as it's called what? Today. I love that. That's fun writing, right? That's, a, that's, that's pretty slick. Why? So that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. You live in a world that is difficult. Why? Because it's fractured by sin. It's hard. There are people right now in Florida who are either doing one of two things most often. They're either saying, why would God allow this to happen? Or they're drawing near to the God who's sovereign over the storm. Most often, you'll never draw near to the the God who's sovereign over the storm unless you have people come along and say, there's a sliver of light here. Why? Because when you're hurting, when, when you're suffering, you can't see. That's why you need friends to come along and just make you a hot cup of coffee or tea and sit down and weep with you and say, oh, there's hope. Hang in there. And you remind them of gospel truth. This moment right now, it's horrible. It's horrific. But we have a God who's done everything to make it so that we can live with him forever. We have a hope that springs eternal as we just sung. You need that person in your life. You need people like that. Why? Because otherwise you'll be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. The sin of your own sin and the sin of others and the world. You'll become hard-hearted. And then it continues. For we have come to share in Christ. People don't like this next word. If indeed we hold to our original confession firm to the end. I don't like qualifiers, pastor. It's all of grace. It is all of grace. Grace is what gets you in. Grace is what maintains you. And grace is what gets you to the end. It is all of grace. God grabs a hold of us. And we, by grace, grab a hold of him. That's called faith. Right? But I just read, and if I understood the text well, and I think I did, you and I need each other to keep on telling us, grab hold of the hand who has you. We need that. Do you have a friend like that? If not, I think this is a good place to get one. I really do. Um, And be that for one another. Right? You're not the world's savior. Pressure off. But you do get to be like the Savior and come and serve and wash the feet of one another. This is a serious call for sacrificial love. That's what we're seeing. That's what we're hearing right now. This kind of community doesn't happen overnight. And it doesn't happen just by Sunday attendance. It's not by accident. It's a gift of grace given by God. And we're transformed through the power of the gospel. And that's shown in love. Right? There's, there's a vertical and a horizontal work that God does. We understand that love comes down and love goes out to those around us. The closest first. So my wife, my daughter, my church my family, right? My dad, who's not around here. And then how far does it go? To the ends of the earth. But I can't love someone in in another country like I can love someone in my house. So you want to know if you're growing in maturity, how do you love the people closest to you? Because we can all fake it for an hour and a half. We got to learn to rejoice with those who rejoice. We must learn to weep with those who weep. You won't do that unless you understand Jesus is the best of friends. Plain and simple. Um, last thing, if, if you go to any church, whether it's here or anywhere, don't wait for everyone to engage you. It's not that they don't see you. They may just be intimidated. You have to engage them, right? You know, I've had people say, well, I go to other churches and no one talks to me. I'm like, well, did you ever talk to them? No. Okay, it's a two-way street. People are intimidated by each other. Sometimes they think, man, you went and sat down. You just don't want anyone to bother you. And they're trying to respect you. 
we're going to stub each other's toes, right? We're going to hurt each other. We're going to have to work through it. And guess what? When you stub someone else's toe or your toe, you have to work through forgiveness. Too many times people will leave a church community right before beauty is about to happen. Now, there's times to leave a church community when they're not preaching the gospel and all sorts of things. But you get my point? I think it's dead. I kicked that horse. It's dead. I have 19 minutes. <laughs> we haven't even got to the heart of the text. Let's go. Luke 1, 64 through 66. And immediately his mouth, that, that is Zechariah, was open and his tongue loosed. And he spoke, blessing God. And fear came on all their neighbors. And the, all the things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? Meaning John, who goes before Jesus, right? For the hand of the Lord was with him. Um, just briefly, Zechariah had been speechless for nine months, right? No doubt God just loved this woman, gave her a baby, gave her a mute husband, and it was just nine months of beauty. Just kidding. Come on. And, but now belief opens his mouth. Belief opens his mouth, which, by the way, is true of, of all who believe. When you come to know the mercy and the grace of God, it opens your mouth to what? To praise, to talk about God, to do all these things because he understands what God has done. And notice the response of the community in this moment. Hope is starting to rise. They're getting very excited. Anticipation's building. Why? Because they're all filled with wonder. What will this child be? What will it be like? Because darkness is starting to give way to dawning of light. And listen to what Zechariah's song of praise is is as he says it. I'm going to read it in whole, and that's where we're going to spend the rest of our time. Listen to this. And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. By the way, prophesied um, means he in this moment was a mouthpiece for God. That's what that means. His words were God's words in this context. This prophetic song is directed to others, not God. God gave him the words to say because God used this man to speak, okay? What I'm doing here is not prophecy. It's called preaching, right? I'm not making up new words from God. I'm preaching the word of God. But this man is prophesying these words are from God. And they go out. And listen to what he says. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant, David. As he spoke by mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit. And he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. Man, don't miss this, right? Th this prophecy, this is what prophecy does for God's people. It, it illuminates. I, I remember being on top of Cadillac Mountain when the sun came up seemingly out of the ocean. Um, if you're on Cadillac Mountain in Maine, it's the first place you can see the sunrise on the east coast of, of America, okay, North America. And I remember being there, and it just started to come up. But prior to that, you could barely see anything. It was, I mean, it was just dark, very, very dark. And as it came up, it started to give light to all the things that were around us. This is kind of what's happening for God's people right here, right now. They have all the promises that were in the Old Testament or their Bible. And, but they were kind of looking at it. Kind of, it's dark. I can't really see all these things. And now you have a prophet, and he is speaking, and, and he's pulling back the curtain. 
and they're starting to see, and it's giving way to hope. They start to get very excited about it. Because why? This faithful remnant knew that the Messianic sunrise would come, would come, because the prophet Micah had said so. Listen to Malachi, I'm sorry, chapter 4, verse 2. But you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. He's saying when that moment comes, when Messiah comes, there will be joy among God's people. And that's what we see here. So despite over 400 long years of darkness and silence, God's speaking. And they know because they've been longing for this day in this moment. Look at again, okay, at verse 68 and 69. Because what I want you to see is, I want you to see really the the heart of of the text. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited. Don't miss that word visited. And redeemed his people and raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant, David. You heard the word Emmanuel, which just means God with us. God was coming to visit a desperate people, a sinful people, a people who had wandered from God and wanted nothing to do with him, and God came. Don't miss the past tense language, though. I mean, do you see it? Redeemed. He has raised up. He has visited, right? Why is that important? Because it's as good as done in God's mind. It's as good as done. Jesus hasn't been born yet. But he sees it as complete. Why? Because God had always had a plan of redemption for his people, even before they even understood what sin was. Before the foundation of the earth, the Lamb of God was slain to redeem his people. This has always been God's plan. This is a beautiful moment in the heavens. The angels are rejoicing. The long wait is over. Why? Because God's going to visit them. Oh, don't, don't miss this. So many people think that Christianity is about us being good, cleaning ourselves up, evolving our way so that God might love us. Has nothing to do with that. Has everything to do with revelation. God comes in man. Christ Jesus, who's always existed, puts on flesh, lives among people. He is He is fully divine. He is fully human. He's Emmanuel. He's God with us. He came to us. Why? To reveal, to reveal God to man and to save them, to redeem them, to buy them back. The word salvation, I mean, there's some some language that you might not understand. Um, We won't be able to cover it all, but how about horn of salvation? Um, The mighty one will not fail. When you hear horn of salvation, what is horn of salvation? It's a picture of strength, right? Uh, in, in the Old Testament, you would generally think of an ox or you would think of a buffalo, and their horns would symbolize power. What he's saying is, I won't fail. I'm raising up Jesus. He's coming in strength, and it's going to look like weakness. It doesn't look like strength to the world. They anticipated a king that would come and squash, crush the Romans. But, but Jesus came to be crushed by Romans in order to save a people. It's, it's a kingdom in reverse. This is not what they expected, I promise you. The word salvation has this, this connotation of, of deliverance, right? Victory. You're, you're, you're rescued from the danger of suffering and oppression. It's to save, to deliver, to protect. Victory, health, preservation. And, and they're thinking, finally, the king that's going to get rid of Rome. But they miss it. What do they miss? We would have missed it too. Don't, don't be arrogant here. Um, well, let's look at the three things that Jesus is going to do when he visits. Number one, this is the first point. <laughs> Jesus, who is the horn of salvation, brings forgiveness of sins. Right? Jesus, who is the horn of salvation, brings forgiveness of sins. You see it in verse 77. John's coming to preach and to prepare a people. And his message is pretty simple. Repent, repent of your sins and believe the good news that's coming, right? He came to give knowledge. So the word and the spirit brings about knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. This is what people more than anything need. Make no mistake about it. You and I are fallen You and I are sinners by nature and by choice. We are born into sin by nature. That's who we are. 
right? We must be born again. This is what the Bible teaches, okay? Jesus came to, to give us, among other things, but, but to give us forgiveness of sins. Why? Because there's no way to draw near to a holy God as a sinful people, right? Um, you and I, this is the easiest doctrine or teaching in all the world to prove that you and I are sinners. We're not basically good. We're basically evil. You're like, oh, I don't believe that. Okay, then tell me where you live and leave your doors unlocked and let me know where all your money is. Well, I don't believe you're basically good, right? It's not how it works, right? I'll show you the easiest way to prove this. You ever get near a kid and spend enough time with them who has good parents, right? Um, I'm looking around, I see some good parents, right? In enough time, your little sweetie pie is going to look at you and they are going to just rebel against your good authority, right? You're just going to say, hey, sweetie, why don't you come to the the table, we got some pancakes, and you'll even talk like a baby, like, we got some pan-pans, right, with some syrup, and mommy loves you, and like, we're just gonna have a wonderful day, and like, this is a good thing, you're not asking them to go, like, grab a cobra, right, like, it's a good thing, and they're gonna look at you, and you won't understand why, but they're gonna look at you, and they're gonna be like, no, no, I don't want to, and you're gonna be like, whoa, who taught you that? Nobody. No, nobody. Nobody taught that child that. I mean, if, you, if you're teaching your kids that, you've got to get some help. We're here to help. Um, I don't know if we're all the answers for that, but like, we've got some people who can come alongside. No parents are teaching their kids that. Where did they learn it? They didn't. It's their nature. They're rebels. You're a rebel. We're all rebels. We are like, ready? Our spiritual daddy, which is, Ready? Satan until Jesus saves us. And when he saves us, we get a new dad. That's God, Father God. Prior to that, you and I are in the domain of darkness. All the world is not God's children. This is so important to understand. Otherwise, who's God rescuing you from? Well, he's, in that moment, you're in the domain of darkness, right? And our only thing, we just rebel. And any goodness you ever do is just God's grace upon humanity, right? That's it. Otherwise, you want to see what humanity is like? Go back and watch the L.A. riots when they think there's no law. I mean, it is pandemonium. It's craziness. That's who we are by nature, If you're any, man, you're like, well, I'm a pretty good guy. You, I'm a pretty good girl. You might be, but you were probably raised in a home where it taught you how to do that. And what kept you from being all that you really are is law and fear of punishment. But if you thought, man, I could get away with this when you're a kid, you did it. I did it. You did it. Let's be real. You did it. Why? Because that's your nature. We need a new nature. We need to be rescued. So, so here, Here's the thing. Sin causes separation from God. So when we, when we use this word forgiveness, there's such language in our world today that we just need to forgive. I need to forgive myself. You don't need to forgive yourself. That, that psychobabble doesn't help Christians. It's not a Bible thought that you need to forgive yourself. I understand what they're saying, but it's not true. You didn't sin against yourself. You need forgiven of your sin because you've sinned against a holy God who's perfect. And you've sinned against other people, right? You need to receive forgiveness. And you can't give that to yourself. It has to come outside of you, right? And so the question is, is what is it they need rescued from? It's not the Romans. It's the wrath of God. You're going to hear it over and over throughout the Bible as we go through the book of Luke. We need saved from the wrath of God. Why? Because he is holy, we are sinful. He's a good, perfect judge, and we are guilty. And the wages of sin is death. Oh, eternal and physical, right? So, okay, well, help, help me understand that. What it means is God hates sin. And, but here's the thing. He hates being separated from us, too. And it's not because he needs us. Let's just be super clear here, right? It's not because, oh, I got to save him because I'm lonely. God's not lonely right? He doesn't need you. He doesn't need anything. He in of himself is completely delighted, right? But because he's a good God. He's a good God, and his love demands restoration. It demands that he rescues. It demands that he comes to a people who have nothing to offer, only need 
only need, and he knows we need salvation. We need our sins forgiven. Thankfully, God is loving. He's merciful. He's eager to forgive our sins. This is what the gospel offers, and it's the only real forgiveness that's available in all the universe. It is authentic forgiveness, and you will see it all throughout the gospel of Luke if you'll keep coming and if you engage your brain and your heart in the word of God. It, man, Jesus is going to peel back all the curtains and show you what God is like. And you're just going to be overwhelmed with his love. I pray. That's my prayer. Second point, Jesus, who is the horn of salvation, brings redemption. Just, just real quick on this point. We get the word redemption all screwy in our culture because we use the word redemption like this. Man, he really blew it in the, in the Super Bowl. Next year, when he comes back and he wins the Super Bowl, he redeemed, he redeemed that moment, right? You hear that language. Um, that is not a biblical understanding of redemption because a biblical understanding of redemption is not that we do anything to redeem ourselves. It is to buy back. We are in slavery. We are in the domain of darkness and Jesus comes and he sets us free from Satan, sin, and death. He redeems, he buys back a people who are far from God, right? So, so this is what Jesus is doing. It's brought about by God. Redemption is brought about by God, and God alone, who comes to failures, who comes to sinners, who are unworthy to receive anything, who place their hope exclusively in him, he just brings them out of the domain of darkness, he transfers them into the kingdom of his beloved son, where they reside forever. He redeems them. Why? Well, because sins are forgiven. How? The Lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world. He just makes a way. What's that way? Christ. And he's the only way. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through trust and faith and belief in Christ and Christ alone. Know, know this. The streets of heaven will be filled with former sinners because that's all there is, right? Um, through no goodness of their own. None. That's Jesus and. Nope. None. They will find themselves redeemed. They'll find themselves forgiven. They will find themselves freed from Satan's sin and death. They will go from slaves of sin to sons and daughters of God. That's, that's what Jesus is bringing in this moment. This is the hope. It's way better than getting rid of Rome. He's banishing Satan's sin and death for God's people. He's coming to bring about salvation eternally, not just in the way they thought. So, whoever you are, whatever you've done, no matter how disgusting or heinous our sin, your sin, whether it's murder, whether it's infidelity, whether it's perversion, betrayal, embezzlement, lying, jealousy, hateful gossip, whatever it is, the horn of salvation can forgive you and save you completely and eternally. And he loves to do it. He loves to do it. How? Um, I'm just going to talk briefly, and then we'll talk just a tad bit more around the table. I think we've, we've said it pretty explicitly today, but, but I want to read a text to you, 2 Corinthians 5.21. It says, for our sake, he, God, made him, Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. At the heart of gospel is a great exchange. It's just a great exchange. This is the way God brings about salvation to a people. What, what that text just said is God treated his son like an enemy so that he could treat enemies like sons and daughters. So at, at the moment of putting your faith and trust in Jesus, when, when you believe this message by faith, what happens is all your sins, past, present, future, are gone. They're gone. Your record's wiped clean forever. You're as white as snow. The blood of Christ covers all your sin. And then he gives you righteousness. He gives you perfect right standing, which means right now that if you're trusting in Jesus for your salvation, you're, you're as holy as Jesus Christ in the courtroom of heaven before God. You can't improve upon that. What did you do to get that. You did nothing. All of salvation is of grace. 
It's a gift. What do you do with gifts? Hopefully you receive it. And if you receive it with joy when it's the gift of God, right? You receive it with joy. Well, what must I do to maintain it? N- nothing. Because here's the, there's so much beauty in the gospel. And, it, and man, you just need so much help to see it. But, but I think if you think upon it, you'll see it even more brightly than you maybe do right now. If the wages of sin is death, that's what you deserve. A wage is something you're owed. Jesus took your death, which means that the moment you believe some 2,000 years ago, you were executed upon the cross with Christ, which means you went into the grave with him. And so when Jesus resurrected from the grave three days later, you were resurrected with him. You're now a new creation. Behold, the old is gone. Behold, the new has come. You're a new creation. You're born again, which means all your sins are still in the grave, which means every time you do something that is sinful right now, God doesn't actually fill himself with more wrath for you. Why? Because you're dead. And we have a judge that doesn't do double jeopardy, if you can pick up what I'm laying down, which means that when you sin, you do grieve the heart of the father. Why? Because he wants so much more for his child. But instead of wrath filling back up, guess what fills up? Love, compassion, mercy. Why? Because he came to not just clean you up. He came to fully redeem you. This is why his love grows towards you in those moments that would hopefully bring about repentance and change. Why? Because you know that that's not what God has for you. But I want you to know that when, when Christ said it's finished from the cross, he really means it's finished. Believe that message. Transformation happens in that moment. And mercy, listen, you see it in verse 78 and 79. We're really, we are almost done, I promise you. Why would God, why would he do this? It's not because he had to. He's absolutely free. God is absolutely free. He didn't have to save anyone. He chose to. Why? 78 and 79. Because of the tender mercy of God. The tender mercy of God. Whereas it says, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, give light to those who sit in darkness, in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. Peace with who or what? Peace with him. Peace with him. Right? One quote. And then we'll get to the last point, and I'm not going to say much on that at all. Dane Ortland said this once, and I love this quote. Not once are we told that God is provoked to love or provoked to mercy. His anger always requires being provoked, right? His mercy is pent up. It's ready to gush forth. Why did God save? Why did God come? Because mercy literally comes from the guts of God. It's just who he is. It's who he is. Is that how you think of God? Or do you think he's always looking at you with a frown? He's always just so disappointed in you. He's just always looking at you like, oh gosh, I wish they'd get it together so I could love them. I wish they would just finally figure it out so that they would be lovable. Can I tell you something? That's not the gospel at all. The gospel is so much more beautiful than that right? The, the gospel is he loves you in spite of you and his love makes you lovely. His love makes you lovely. You ready? He loves you. If you could all believe that, my work is so done because I don't have to talk about what we got to do. I don't got to talk about going and sharing this good news with your neighbors. I don't got to talk about anything. I don't got to talk about live, giving your life, giving your, your time, your talents, your treasure. If you understand that God loves you so much that he sent his son to die for you so that he could live for you, so that you could live with him forever, that he visited you for no other reason than he loves to show off his mercy, this people would turn this city upside down. I promise you. So if you want to do anything today, my encouragement, ask God to show you his love more fully, more deeply, and to give you eyes to believe it. That when you walk out of here, that his delight is upon you if you're in Christ. That he doesn't have a frown. He's not always just perpetually disappointed with you. He actually delights in you. Why? Because he delights in his son. And if you're in Christ, that means his son's in you and you have his righteousness. He Listen, he loves you. Oh, that's good news. Which brings us to the third point. And this is it, ready? 
Jesus, who is the horn of salvation, invites us into this joyous work. I'm not going to say anything on that. See where it says it in 74, 75, that we might serve him without fear in holiness, righteousness before him in all our days. Why am I not going to say anything about it? Because if you understand everything I just said up to that, you'll gladly do it. You just gladly do it. Now, you might need some help and training and equipping on what that looks like. Keep coming around. We'll keep training. We'll keep equipping. But really, it's, it's love. It's, it's not more complicated than that. It's love. You get to love like your Father in heaven loved you through Christ, which means you love people who don't love you back. It means you love people who do love you. This means you love. Why? Because you've been loved in Christ. You are loved in Christ. Love will then come from the heart of those who understand this love. So our prayer is that God help us love. God help us love. Help us to understand your love, right? That really is our prayer. Um, well, that is not really the sermon I had, but it's the sermon you got. Um, will you pray with me, and then we're going to continue in worship of this great God. Uh, Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for, for, your, for your tender mercy. Help us to understand your tender mercy more. God, create in us a, a heart that, that quickly looks to you in our times of need, in our times of want, in all the times. Help us to understand more fully your love for us. I know there's people here right now that in some way, shape, or form, they think they've got to do something to get you to love them. They've got to provoke you to love them. I pray you would just correct that thinking. I pray that you would remind them that you've done everything to show your great love in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. Lord, enlarge our hearts to understand that. Enlarge our hearts to be able to receive this great love. God, create in this people right now, in me and everyone here right now, a heart that, that responds appropriately to the love that you have given us in the person and work of Christ. We need so much help to do that. Help us, as John will say, to decrease as you increase in us. God, give us a teachable heart. Give us humility. Help us to come near to the throne of grace and receive mercy and help in our time of need. Lord, when, when our time here on earth is done, let it be said of us that, that they, they knew the love of God and they sought to love one another. Let that be said of for the city church. We ask in Christ's beautiful name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon. If you found it helpful, we encourage you to enjoy more of our sermons, find out more information about For the City, or how to partner with us through prayer and giving at www.forthecity.church. For the City exists to magnify Jesus by making disciples who share and show the transforming power of the gospel and plant churches that multiply.